You are listening to Clearing the Haze, episode number 87, in DESA, Washington, D.C. Advocacy Day with Chairman Jim Greer. Keeping today's workplace drug-free should not be confusing. This is the Clearing the Haze podcast, giving you the tools you need to most effectively address drug and alcohol use and decreased productivity in the workplace while investing in your positive company image. Now, here's your host, Chuck Marting. Never doubt that a small group of committed citizens can change the world. Indeed, it is the only thing that ever has. Margaret Mead. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Clearing the Haze. I'm your host, Chuck Marting, and this week we have a returning guest, that we've had on before. It was one of our most listened to episodes before. So it only makes sense to bring you back, Jim. So we have uh, our chairman for INDESA, the National Drug and Alcohol Screening Association, Jim Greer. Good morning, sir. Good morning. How are you, Chuck? I'm doing great. You know, I've, I've gotten to know and not only know, <clears throat> but also respect you over the years for a lot of different things that, that we've come across in the drug and, t- drug and alcohol testing industry. And um, I don't want to take advantage that I know who you are, but if you could just give us a, a brief overview of who you are and what you do and a little bit about Indesa, that would be great. Sure. Uh, well, first of all, as Chuck mentioned, I had the privilege of serving as the chairman of the National Drug and Alcohol Screening Association. I'm in my uh, second term as chairman of the association. And uh, along with Chuck, I was one of the founding uh, members of the association from years past, um, and the National Drug and Alcohol Screening Association in DESA has grown tremendously since we founded it. We've now become the, the nation's uh, leading trade association representing the drug and alcohol testing industry. We have laboratories, MROs, collection sites, governmental agencies, uh, just a wide range of membership throughout the country. And uh, we provide member services. We provide uh, training. We have a national conference uh, each year. Our next one's coming up in Hershey, Pennsylvania. And we also have advocacy day each year that we'll talk about in a minute. Um, And then from my professional standpoint, I'm also the president and CEO of accredited drug testing and our other brands, Secure Screenings, Lab Testing USA, um, and uh, Workforce Screenings. Um, And those companies provide drug testing, alcohol testing, background checks, occupational health testing, uh, and consulting services nationwide. So as I say, that's the job that pays me, but the one I enjoy quite a lot is being chairman of the National Drug Drug and Alcohol Screening Association. I got involved in the drug testing industry in the 90s um, and uh, founded these companies about 10, 11 years ago, and um, just very engaged in the drug testing industry. Uh, I also have a experience in politics. Uh, I've served as an elected official, uh, been elected to public office five times in my career. So um, just a wide range of experience, some good, some bad, uh, the good, bad, and the ugly of life. But uh, that's kind of that's my background there, Chuck, for your listeners, viewers. Awesome. 
you know, we're going to be going to Washington, D.C. for our advocacy day. Um, basically, the, the 4th and the 5th of March is when we're going to be back there. And for those that don't really know what governmental advocacy is, can you explain that concept? Because I, I think it's really important. I didn't understand it until you explained it to me. Um, and, I, and, and for our industry, I don't know of anybody or any other organization that has a governmental uh, advocacy that, that goes to Washington, D.C. to do what we're doing. So can you explain that concept and what it is that we're doing? Sure. I think governmental advocacy is making your voice heard. Um, that, that's, uh, there's, there's different ways to uh, put yourself out when it comes to governmental affairs. Uh, one is making campaign contributions, which our association does through our PAC, uh, but also putting yourself in front of the decision makers, the stakeholders, making your voices heard. Um, and we found uh, years ago that um, Congress, members of Congress, the White House and others were listening to people regarding drug testing, marijuana legislation, and other issues of that nature that weren't really providing accurate information. They were providing information that was beneficial to their positions, but they really weren't providing accurate or truthful information in some cases. So I always felt that uh, the drug testing industry needed to have uh, representatives uh, that would go to Washington, D.C., and uh, tell the truth, provide information, provide expertise before people that were making decisions regarding drug-free workplaces and marijuana and drug testing. And uh, Endesa, uh, years ago, through your support and many others, um, we formed a governmental affairs committee uh, that looks at all types of legislation around the country and in the states and in, in the federal government. Um, we formed a PAC, a political action committee, so that we can make contributions, because like it or not, that's what makes the world go round in politics, is political contributions. And more importantly, having our members from throughout the country go to Washington, D.C., have one-on-one -on -one meetings, personal meetings, with members of Congress and educating them about the truthful issues relating to marijuana legislation, um, to drug-free workplace, to an employer's right to conduct drug testing, and, and making members of Congress aware that there's a group of individuals that have an expertise out there in these particular fields that they can call upon at any time. And we did that uh, several years ago. It was very successful. You participated in it then. Uh, and uh, we have now uh, the board of directors of Indesa has determined that there will be an annual advocacy day in Washington, D.C. And um, 2024 is our first one uh, that we're following up the one we had years ago. We're going to have a tremendous amount of attendance, a really high attendance. And we have over 30 meetings set with members of Congress, uh, with the Office of National Drug Control Policy, and with the White House and with the Department of Transportation on the 4th and the 5th. So just, just to conclude on that, making our voices heard, making our members' voices heard, small businesses' voices heard, and uh, it's going to be very successful. You know, I didn't realize the impact in the 
everything that goes into this when you're going in there and talking to people about these concerns. And I guess one of the big things is, is, is one of our focuses is on employers, of course. So what are there specific challenges or concerns that you think employers are facing right now in relation to drug and alcohol screening that we're hoping to address while we're there in our advocacy efforts? Well, I think one of the first things that comes to mind is the political environment and the social environment that's that's taking over the United States in many, many ways. And, and that deals with a lackadaisical attitude as it relates to public safety, impairment issues, uh, whether an employer has a right to be a drug-free workplace. Uh, there, there's so many things that have happened in our society over the last 10 years that um, in, in many cases makes America unrecognizable in a lot of ways of, of what has been um, the, the standard for an employment environment. Uh, people now say that uh, there's no reason why an employee can't smoke marijuana as they're driving to work, to go to work. Um, there are many advocates out there that believe marijuana doesn't impair you. Um, there are many one, there are states like Oregon that are legalizing many harmful, very harmful drugs as a standard that the government has said the people of Oregon can do whatever they want to when it comes to consuming illegal drugs. So I think the number one thing that employers have to be concerned about is protecting their individual rights to manage their business as they see fit, that employees should not be running the show. It's the employers that should be running the show in their particular business. And my concern that I have uh, watching what's happened for many years, as you have and others have, and also from being on the other side, being in government, making those decisions, there is a, a movement occurring where drug testing could be considered an infringement upon a person's individual rights. And that the individual's rights as an employee outweighs the employer's right to manage their business the way that they want, or more importantly, to be a, a safe work environment. And I see that as a challenge that employers are not only facing today in individual states because of marijuana legalization, but I think in the future, it's gonna become even more difficult uh, for employers to be able to address being a drug-free workplace because there's gonna be groups as there are today, that are one day going to wake up and say, you know what, you shouldn't be able to tell an employee that they can't be high when they come to their workplace of business. Mm -hmm. And those are things we have to look out for. And, and I would just conclude, someone might say, well, Jim, that, that's a pretty far-fetched idea. And I would say to you five years ago, some of the things that are being accepted today would have been back then a very far-fetched idea. Yeah, very much so. I, I I think we understood the reality that the first time that we went and talked to um, people up on the hill about all the things that employers are facing and, and the shock that most of them had, they had no idea, had none. Um, and that just simply amazes me because they're voting on these things that impact the employer directly. 
Um, well, members of Congress now uh, in both parties, I might add, are more interested in the popular acceptance of positions mm-hmm. rather than what is right and wrong. Uh, you know, political parties, they don't, they, they, they have lost their way in so many ways and, and individual members of, of Republican, Democrats, independents, you know, uh, it used to be what was right and wrong, what was morally correct. Everybody, most people had a moral compass, as I used to call it. Um, but now uh, you've got to have your pollster run out the door and take a poll first before you take a position. And yeah. the legalization of marijuana and other drugs is is a popular thing in some states. And um, that's what we're being faced with. There's such a big swing in this. So what do you feel is motivating this with the legalization of marijuana, the psychedelic drugs that we're seeing now that are starting to gain momentum as well, um, the different attitudes that are coming out on things like what you just explained that people before would have never given the time of day to, but are now considering. And and they feel like it's a good thing, not understanding or in my opinion, they're not really looking at what the impact's going to be. They're looking at other things that are causing them to want these things to come about in society. What do you feel on that? What is your take on it? Well, I think there's there's three elements to what occurs as it relates to what we're talking about, legalization of marijuana, illegal drug use, and so on. One is money. Uh, there are people that have a vested interest to legalize illegal drugs, such as marijuana and other things. Um, they're either going to manufacture it, they're either going to grow it, they're either going to distribute it, or they're going to be a, a seller. <clears throat> so there is a vested interest to, to allow these things to happen because they're going to make millions and millions and millions of dollars. The next, the next element to that is the personal freedom. The individual in, a, in America... Uh, feels that, you know, if it's not hurting anyone, which is what they think the case is, then government and other people shouldn't tell me I can't do it. So uh, we've we've seen a shift in our American culture over the last 10 years, where um, personal responsibility is not necessarily always at the top of the list. And government shouldn't tell me that I can't take cocaine, Government shouldn't can't tell me that I shouldn't take psychedelics, um, that I shouldn't be able to smoke marijuana whenever I want to, and 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 we see that every day. And not only the the legalization of drugs issue, there's a multitude of things. Mm-hmm. But all you have to do is turn on the TV and uh, and and wonder what are people thinking? Right? How, how can this be happening? Yeah. And, and then the last component to that, Chuck, is the political aspect. Um, people want to get reelected to office. So it's whatever their constituency thinks is uh, the way they're going to go. doesn't necessarily mean, and, and in many cases, I don't, I think that members of government, stakeholders that are, are elected officials, they don't always agree with the way they vote. They, they may go home and lay their head on the pillow at night and tell their wife that they totally disagree with the official position they've taken, but if they want to be reelected, their pollster has said their constituents believe this. 
example is conservative districts, members vote conservative. Liberal districts, they vote liberal. And it's all about what the pollster says their constituents want. So really, those are the three elements that are making this uh, uh, issue transcend the way it is. Money, personal liberty, personal opinion of their personal rights, and lastly, uh, politics, getting reelected. Yes. You know, there's a, we've been dealing with marijuana for, for quite some time. It's still a hot button issue for a lot of people, a lot of states, um, whether they legalize it or not. And then when they legalize it, what do they do with it? Um, but we also have psychedelic drugs that we just spoke about that are gaining a lot of momentum as well. What considerations do you feel employers need to take regarding these issues? Well, I think the first thing that I do not agree with is the acceptance uh, the the relaxation of their drug policies. Uh, I am not one um, who believes that an employer should take marijuana out of a drug screening because they can't hire people to pass the drug test on uh, related to marijuana. I, I have I hear that all the time when I testified. Uh, before the District of Columbia City Council, I heard that we can't get anybody hired. Our constituents can't pass the marijuana panel when it comes to a drug test. We see employers taking it out because they say the same thing. My answer is don't hire people that smoke marijuana. You're, you're, you've got it in reverse. Um, you, you know, and, and that's not a really a position of mine about legalization. It's just a position of I don't understand, uh, you know, of why an employer modifies something they believe in and something that potentially affects safety of their employees to to accept employees that uh, um, or applicants that that do drugs. And marijuana is a drug. It is, it is still Schedule One. It is still illegal under federal law, regardless of what the states say. But I, I don't believe employers should be eager to modify their drug testing policies to accommodate applicants that use marijuana or even other drugs. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a, there's a lot of misconception out there as far as how this affects employers. And I think a lot of the information that's out there, employers even believe in themselves. Um, I just want to share a, a quick uh, follow-up on what you were just saying about that. I We have an employer that had well over 200 people, a major um, employer that does a lot of governmental contracts and stuff. The CEO walked into the break room and found a baggie of methamphetamine laying on the ground. And so he decided he's going to test everybody, but had a meeting with me because he was worried that he was going to lose half of his staff because of marijuana. And so I had to explain to him, look, you're not going to lose half your people. They want you to think that, but not everybody that you have here is, is using marijuana. And, you know, Chairman Greer, we, we ended up testing over 200 of his employees. And out of that 200 employees, we only had four people come back positive for marijuana. So it was a, it was a huge wake up call for him because he thought by doing testing, that it was going to hurt his business, but yet when we went and did it, it helped him understand that his his whole perception that everybody is smoking it 
isn't the case. And I think that's what we have. A lot of employers have is they end up hearing all these stories about how everybody's doing this because we just hear about the pushes in, in the news media in society itself. And only to find out that that's just truly not the case for those of us that are actually actively testing in the workplace that not everybody is doing this. Well, you're absolutely right on that, Chuck. Not everybody's doing it. Uh, the other thing that happens with employers is they, they get their, their information uh, from uh, false sources. And then you have an employer, as an example, who for 20 years has said, I will never hire anyone that uses marijuana because marijuana impairs you. The employer may have had personal experience in marijuana-related issues or family members and so on. And then they start listening to these sources that are absolutely lying about marijuana use and impairment. And then they start second guessing themselves. See, I don't, I, I'm not faulting them because I understand why they would. And then they start thinking, well, maybe I've been wrong about marijuana. Maybe marijuana is not an impairing drug. Maybe I shouldn't be so uptight about testing employees for marijuana. So they take their own personal beliefs that they've been committed to for many, many years, and they start changing their thinking because the guy on the street mm -hmm. or, you know, the, 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 they've read a Google article written by the marijuana industry that tells them everything you've heard about marijuana is wrong. Listen to us. And it goes back to what I said a minute ago. The people writing those articles have a personal financial vested interest. So that's why they write all these articles and, and, and just swamp the, the world with all this information that marijuana is good and doesn't impair you. And employers start second guessing themselves. Yep. You know, with us going up to Washington, D.C. for our advocacy days, what role do you see organizations like Indesa playing in shaping those policies and practices for the drug and alcohol industry or testing industry? Well, I think the, the role that Indesa uh, will and can play relating to any legislation on the federal level that deals with marijuana or illegal drugs or public safety when it comes to DOT is, is number one, is only as strong as our membership. If our membership across this country is actively engaged on multiple levels, including grassroots, what's happening in their hometown, what's happening in their state, are they, are they out there providing accurate information? Are they out there voting? Um, so I think our membership needs to be very engaged on the local level and in the states. And then from a national perspective, uh, we have to have a strong PAC, political action committee. We have to be able to uh, write a check to a candidate who's running for election or an incumbent that believes in our issues, or at least looks at it from a very reasonable, intelligent approach. So I think our PAC has to be well-funded, and, and we're working to that. And as chairman, that's one of my goals, is to get a well-funded PAC. And then the other role that Indesa plays is 
the vast amount of expertise that we have with someone mm. like you who has experience in law enforcement and drug testing uh, from from doctors in our association that see every day what illegal drug use can do to someone. Um, so we can be a source to those stakeholders that are making decisions regarding these things to call upon when they need accurate information. And, and one thing about Indesa is we, we don't take positions, as you know, we don't have a we don't have an official position as an association on the legalization of marijuana. I've tried to keep the association out of that mud, as I call it. But we, what we do have is accurate and truthful information regarding the subject. So if, if someone said to Indesa, hey, do you think marijuana should be legalized? We have no position. If the question was, does marijuana impair we have a lot of information about that. So uh, there's there's a multitude of things that Indesa can do that can can affect the, this outcome from our grat from our members and their communities to our political action committee to the expertise we have in our association for members of Congress to call upon and even the states. You know this is this is becoming a states' rights issue and it has been for many many years. And we can also, through our state affiliate program, where we have representatives in each state as members, um, state legislatures and governors can call upon our members to provide accurate information when needed. You know, we're we're going to be going up there to advocate for the rights of employers, and and I feel like one of the things that we're trying to do is to get more employers uh, involved by becoming members in, in DESA um, and to be able to have their voice heard. And part of that is going through this advocacy. You know, are there any practices or strategies that you would recommend for employers to adapt with all the changing legislation and all the things that we're seeing on the landscape right now? Uh, well, an employer's, I think the first thing as it relates to internally an employer is to make sure they have a comprehensive uh, drug and alcohol testing policy. I mean, that that's the, if, if you're going to do drug testing and you're going to test for drugs as an employer, small, medium, or large employer, the first thing you need to have is a policy. And, right. a, a, and, a, and a policy, as you know, Chuck, is not a statement in the handbook that says, I don't allow drugs. That's not a drug policy. A drug policy is a comprehensive document that, that reflects what the laws of your particular state are. Um, they address all kinds of issues relating to when to test, how do you test, uh, what do you test for, and most importantly, which is the number one question, what do you do when a positive comes back? So I think the first thing that from an employer perspective is have a drug policy uh, and just don't do it willy-nilly. Um, and then, th then the other thing that I think an employer should be focused on is recognizing the, the potential consequences from a workers' comp claim or a lawsuit of, of not doing drug testing or not having a comprehensive drug-free workplace program, the, the potential liability that an employer could face and a workers' comp claim or, or a non-workers' comp claim where the employer could be sued 
And if they find out the employee who caused the, the incident or the action was on drugs, they may have a problem. It may increase their life. Hold on just a second. I just lost my speaker. Dang it. Let's see. Okay. Yeah, I, I can. I there heard you go. all the time. Awesome. Good. Okay. I don't know what happened there. It just went out and I was like, what? My That's secret right. just escaped me. Um, we're almost done. I got just another sure. couple of questions for you. Um, let's see. Jim, a lot of times we have individuals that reach out to us to say, you know, are there any tools that I can bring into the workplace that are going to be able to help me? And I know a lot of us, including Indesa, offers uh, programs such as uh, reasonable suspicion training. And we have different uh, seminars and webinars and things like that that we do to consistently try and keep employers and in, in the rest of our industry in the now as far as things that are on the horizon, things that are happening right now and things that we can implement. Do you think that or do you anticipate any technology or technological advances that are going to impact um, the drug and alcohol screening industry, maybe helping them to be able to detect some of these emerging substances that we're seeing coming into the workplace? Well, I think, you know, the labs are always focused on trying to modify how they screen for illegal drugs. And, and, and I think, you know, that, that's one aspect of a resource is what the labs are doing. I mean, the labs, they're in the money, they're in the business of making money too. And they want to look for innovative ways to identify illegal drugs because people are always coming up ways, as you know, uh, because you, you've shown many times people how they adulterate um, tests and how they try and cheat and so on. So I think the labs are one. As far as the drug testing industry as a whole, I think Oral fluid training is going to become very prominent in the future, uh, or oral fluid testing, rather. Um, and there's oral fluid training going on out there by Andesa and other people. Um, so I think oral fluid is going to be one of the things. Um, but it, it has its good and its bad. Every, every type of new test that's innovative is going to have some positive benefit and it may have a negative benefit. One of the negative benefits is the lower detection period, mm -hmm. as we see with oral fluid and so on. Um, but I think one of the most important things when it comes to employer that you asked me at the very beginning is from an employer standpoint, if you're going to assign within your company as an employer, someone to manage the drug and alcohol testing program, you ought to make sure they know what they're doing. Or if they don't know what they're doing, they, you ought to send them somewhere to find out what they should be doing. There's a multitude of online training programs for DER training, for collector training, for 
just the basics of drug and alcohol testing. I think one of the biggest fallacies that employers do is they, they ask the uh, receptionist if she would mind being the designated employer representative. <laughs> and, and she says, sure, I'm not sure what that means, but I'll be more than happy to do it for you, boss. Um, so I think, I think internally employers need to, uh, to train the HR manager, the office manager, the, the safety manager, whoever it is, because you and I both know on many occasions, the safety manager calls you up and asks you what you should do about a positive drug test. And, and in the back of your mind, you're thinking, well, you're the safety manager. Shouldn't you know that answer? But, but, uh, um, so I think there's a lot of innovation coming out over the next five years. And also, I think at the same time, what's available now, people should take advantage of. Yeah, I, I agree with you. There's a lot of things that are changing. I just got done doing a couple of different interviews here on clearing the haze on technology that's coming out. And I don't I don't dismiss any of it if it's going to be something that is is proven to be effective and that it's going to help an employer I'm all for it, whatever it is that can we can help them to give them more tools to to protect themselves and their interests. So I but really you know, want to take one thing I just wanted to follow up with that about technology. I, I think it's important that we as an industry not allow the technology to at the same time benefit those that uh, support uh, the, the use of marijuana or illegal drug use. As an example, uh, new technologies have come out but lower the detection period. Mm -hmm. I, I'm not sure the logic behind those two. I, I know it's new technology. I know it is less invasive testing uh, potential, um, less ability to maybe adulterate, but it also lowers the detection period. And I, I try and reconcile that in my head of how is that technology truly benefiting what we're trying to accomplish. It may, might make the test more convenient. It might make the test less intrusive, but it also at the same time takes away uh, the detection period for an employer to know how soon you use drugs. Yeah, you're exactly right. And, and we see that all the time. And the other confusing issues that I see is when people end up receiving the, the testing results and it's at a certain level, they want to know if that equates to impairment. And having to right. explain mm -hmm. to an employer that those numbers are just showing you the presence of it has nothing to do with impairment in and of itself. So I think that through the the training programs that you've been very passionate about bringing to this organization to the people that are not only out every day doing the testing, but also for employers and stuff, those training programs and the things that, that you've asked us to be. Uh, aggressive with as far as sh sharing this with people to give them the tools they need. I just want to take a minute to say thank you because it's very much needed. We've had a lot of people that, um, that like you said earlier, get put into that position. They have no clue what they're supposed to be doing and they're looking somewhere for this direction. And I think that us having that information and that ability to help them um, kind of takes that muddy water and clears it a little bit and, and helps them get on the right path to be able to um, take care of the things that they need to within their workplace. I think that's one of the things that's very lacking is people feel that they have no tools and um, for us to be able to be able to do that's commendable. So thank you for your 
foresight in trying to get us to see this and to bring it out. Well, I appreciate that very much. I also want to take this time just to thank you. Like I said, I, I think that you're um, a great leader. You've led by example. And I know that this being your second term, you're probably looking forward to having some some peace for a little bit. I know that you're a very busy man. Um, and I think that's what makes you unique as a chairman is that you're not only walking the walk, you're talking the talk. You have a business in this industry, so you know what's going on. And I think that's a big difference. Sometimes people don't see that. Um, and I know just from behind the scenes, seeing uh, the amount of involvement and the time that it takes for you to be able to lead this organization and then also have to lead your businesses and uh, and also take care of your family as well. Um, I want to thank you for taking that opportunity and being an example to the rest of us and for your knowledge and, and understanding and your willingness to share like you're doing today on Clearing the Haze. Giving this that insight is very important and to have somebody that actually knows what they're talking about when it comes to this is very crucial. So I, I just want to thank you for that. Well, I appreciate that very much, Chuck. And, you know, I, I was just telling someone recently, uh, and you and I were together when this baby was born, as we'll, we'll call him Dasa. Mm -hmm. um, and and my, my second term as chairman will be up in May of 2025, almost a year from now. And and I was telling someone the other day, it's almost going to be like a parent and a college student. Uh, I will watch Endesa get into the car and drive off to the university of where, <laughs> wherever they've gone and, and where I, I as, as you're the chairman of the association, along with you and many others, have worked so hard to make it successful and make it grow. Um, but I love Endesa. Uh, I, you know, I, I can recall the, the, the initial phone calls about forming Indesa and uh, what we have done with this association through your leadership and others has been tremendous. No one can believe that uh, there was another association out there that was in existence many, many years before us. It folded, it closed up shop, and it merged within Indesa. And we have truly become the, 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 a powerhouse in the drug and alcohol testing industry. And uh, I, I think there, uh, there's so much that um, can happen and will happen for Indesa in the future that uh, um, it's, it's mind-boggling to think what we've done and what's to come. So thank you very much for those kind words. Uh, I've always considered it a privilege to be the chairman. And, um, um, you know, you're not, you're not done with me yet. I got a little bit over a year left. <laughs> But uh, we will be electing a chairman-elect at this coming uh, board meeting. So, and thank you, Chuck, for your leadership. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, you were there at the very beginning with me. And uh, I remember um, standing, talking to you at the, the International Hotel. It used to be the Trump International Hotel. Now I think it's the Waldorf Astoria. But uh, we sat there and talked about the future of this association. So thank you for your leadership. Awesome. Well, thank you. You know, I, I'm looking forward to seeing you in Washington, D.C., and I know that one of the things that I've not only learned from you but other um, leaders is that you're constantly trying to improve your leadership skills, and being able to read has been a, a huge tool that, that I've seen the benefit of. So what is it that, that Chairman Greer is reading right now that 
you would uh, like to share with other people that they might be interested in that might help them and give them some perspective as well? Well, I've been reading a, a book now for about two weeks uh, that uh, deals with President Truman, but I've read many books on Truman because I'm a history buff, I'm a political buff, and uh, I'm reading about the firing of MacArthur, um, the, the whole dynamics that went into uh, General MacArthur leading uh, the United Nations force in Korea and um, the, the, the firing, uh, the ultimate firing, President Truman firing MacArthur for insubordination to the civilian commander in chief. And the most important thing that I'm kind of getting out of all this is that uh, you had a, a very, very popular general. He had been a World War II general. He was very popular. His polling in the United States was very high. Everybody thought he was doing a good job in Korea. Not, number one, recognizing that he had made many mistakes militarily in, Korea, in the Korean War, but that really didn't get any traction in, mm. among his popularity. But he kept, he had his vision, and uh, President Truman had his vision of how to, how to bring that police conflict, as they called it, to a conclusion. And they kept butting heads and butting heads and butting heads. And a lot of uh, Truman's close personal advisors were telling him to not, um, to not fire MacArthur, to tolerate MacArthur, that his polling was so high. But Truman, right or wrong, uh, and he was a Democrat, uh, but back then it didn't mean much. People worked together and, and, and so on. Um, he knew what was right. And he knew that he could not have a military general dictating political policy. Mm. And even though everybody in his inner circle told him that it would cost him the election uh, if he fired uh, MacArthur, um, uh, he, he had a running joke. Uh, he said uh, it reminded him of the man on the horse. When the horse bucked, uh, the horse caught his hoof in the stirrup. And uh, the rider said to the horse, if you're going to get on, I'm going to get off. And Mark Arthur's uh, saying to that was that joke he used to use was if MacArthur is going to be president, then he's going to get off. But he was the person elected to be president, the commander in chief. Exactly. So he finally he fired him. He, he gave him he met him in person and he gave MacArthur specific instructions to not talk anymore about the political solutions to the Korean War. That was a direct order from the commander in chief. And MacArthur went out two weeks later with a group of reporters and did exactly opposite of what MacArthur had told him to do. He questioned the president's uh, policies regarding mm -hmm. Korea again. And that was the last straw. And the, the ending to that story is that when it happened, MacArthur's approval ratings went down in public, and Truman's went up on a short for a short time. Mm. And everybody was encouraging MacArthur to run against Truman in the next election as a Republican. But MacArthur's uh, support quickly went away. <laughs> the American public started thinking about the issue and determined that Truman was right. And that's when 
MacArthur came to Congress and gave his famous speech where he said, old soldiers never die, they just fade away. And that's <laughs> exactly what MacArthur did. Wow. That sounds like a pretty interesting book. I'll have to put it's that in the show notes. I'll put that and in I the show notes. And I gave you a little bit more. I gave you a little yeah. bit more of the book than I yeah. intended to, but it's a very interesting book and, and has a lot of uh, good information that you can use in today's life. Yeah, I appreciate it. And I'm sure that our listeners are going to enjoy that as well. And so, I'll, like I said, I'll have it in the show notes that they're interested in, in taking a look at that book as well. But I want to thank you for being here on Clearing the Haze. Like I said, you're a repeat guest, and I anticipate having you on the show again at some point. Uh, looking forward to seeing you in Washington, D.C., and be able to report back to um, the audience here as to our efforts and how things went while we were there in Washington, D.C. But until next time, I want to thank you for being here. Well, thank you, Chuck, and thank your uh, viewers for the opportunity again. All right. Take care.